closer to him, to his son, and to their will as you understand it proclaimed to us in Scripture. God has blessed us with a good day, and we're glad to be here together to honor him. This morning we'll be talking about uh, an attitude that's prevalent in our culture today that is just about to, I think, destroy a nation and many people spiritually. It's the attitude that mercy belongs to me, I deserve mercy, but you get justice. So mercy for me, but justice for you. You know, most people don't really like to be judged by the same standard that they judge others by. Have you noticed that? It's been true a long time. But it's particularly true, I believe, in our culture today. But it is inexcusable, in the words of God, to judge others by a standard that we do not apply to ourselves. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul, writing by the inspiration of God, says, Therefore you are inexcusable. The ESV says you have no excuse. You are inexcusable, O man, Whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you, judge, you who judge practice the same thing. You're guilty of violating the law, yet you condemn others who are violating the law. You expect people to overlook your crime. You expect God to overlook your sin. And yet, you're happy to judge the sins of others. It's inexcusable. Those are the words that you have in Romans chapter 1. We must learn to do right. We must learn God's law. And we must be merciful to others as we perform God's law. Everyone here this morning, I hope, will leave with this understanding. The standard of God's law is first and foremost for you. It's first and foremost, not for the other guy. It's first and foremost for you. And our attitude should be, I'm going to do it to the letter. And I'm going to be merciful to those who fail to do it to the letter. It's a hard concept. But I want to tell you what, unless we learn to be merciful, we're going to be miserable. For truly miserable are the merciless. We had a good lesson a couple of weeks back by uh, Wiley Deason uh, on Jonah, you may remember. And I think there's a lot to learn from the short four-story, four-chapter story of Jonah. Jonah rebelled against God. God told him to go preach to Nineveh. He went the other direction, took a ship to Tarshish, uh, wound up being thrown in the sea and swallowed by a fish. Should have been destroyed uh, for his attitude of rebellion toward the will of God. But he wasn't. God was merciful to him. Uh, The fish spit him up on dry ground, you know. And Jonah decides he's going to go preach to Nineveh. And he does that. He tells them to repent. And they do. But that's not what Jonah wanted. See, the whole thing all along was he didn't want to preach to Nineveh because he did not want Nineveh to repent. Because he knew if Nineveh repented, God would be merciful. And Nineveh was the, uh, 
named enemy of the children of Israel. Jonah couldn't stand it. So what happens is, sure enough, he preaches, they repent, and God relents of the destruction that he had said he would bring on Nineveh. Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 then. It displeased Jonah exceedingly that God was merciful. He became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? There are, therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah's not a happy person. He wasn't happy to begin with. He's not happy after the story's done. And he's not happy because all the way through, he's a merciless man. He does not want to be merciful to these sinners. He doesn't want God to be merciful to these sinners. He wants to see their destruction, not God's mercy. Jonah stewed in his misery. God asked him, is it right for you to be angry about this? Jonah says, it is right for me to be angry, and I'll be angry unto death. He doesn't give up that position all the way to the end. He had more pity as the story concludes. He goes up on a hill to the east of Nineveh, and he sits there to see what's going to happen. You know, I just can't believe God's going to be merciful, so I'm going to sit here and fold my hands until God does something. That's kind of the pouting two-year-old attitude, right? So he sits there, and God causes a plant to grow up and give Jonah shade. Jonah's appreciative of the shade. He doesn't really deserve it. God is continuing to be merciful to him. Notice that. Next day, God prepares a worm, and the worm destroys the plant, and there goes Jonah's shade. Jonah is very distraught about the plant. But he still doesn't care about the people of Nineveh. He had more pity on a plant that benefited him than on people who were lost and directionless. Miserable are the merciless. Go over in your Bibles to another familiar story. The merciless servant that Jesus tells us about in Matthew chapter 18. You remember Peter had come to him and said, how often am I supposed to forgive? Uh, and, and, and Jesus said, well, he says, should, should it be seven times? And Jesus said to him, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And he explains to him then that the kingdom of heaven is like a, a man who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he had uh, a servant who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, there's a lot of figuring and ciphering that's been done to try to understand exactly how much that was. But it's, it's beyond our reckoning, I can tell you that. Uh, some have suggested that in modern terms, it might be several billion dollars. However much it was, it was more than 
an average person could have raised, could have made in a thousand lifetimes. Way beyond the ability of any person to pay back. And yet, this servant who's about to be uh, you know, sold and his family sold and everything to pay off some of the debt, begs the master, have mercy on me and I'll, 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 I'll pay it all back. Well, he wasn't going to pay it all back. <laughs> he couldn't pay it all back. And the master knew that. But the text tells us that he had mercy on him and he forgave him his debt. And this same servant then has a fellow servant who owes him a hundred denarii, which is basically a hundred days wages. That's a little bit of money, but something somebody could pay back eventually. But he, he takes that man, goes out, says in um, the text, and he grabs him by the throat. Pay me what you owe me. He's not a happy person, is he? He has been blessed beyond belief to have all of this forgiven him, and yet he's not a happy person. What kind of person, receiving that kind of benefit in their lives, then goes out and grabs somebody else by the throat, shakes him down, give me my money? Fellow servants heard of his treatment of this servant who owed him money, and they tell the master, the master is angry. And he says to him as he calls him in in verse 33, should you not also have had compassion, the ESV says mercy, should you not also have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? Shouldn't you? Shouldn't you have had mercy on him just as I had mercy on you? But he didn't, and he was miserable. He was miserable before, and he was certainly going to be miserable after. For in verse 34, his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. And again, that's something else that was never going to happen. Not likely to raise a whole bunch of money while you're being tortured, right? We, we think that being judgmental is what we ought to be. And we're miserable in it. We are miserable in it. Mercy is what God shows and what He's shown us. And mercy is what we must show each other if we're to have any kind of joy in this life. The merciless also, of course, are hypocritical. In Hosea's day, the children of Israel showed no mercy. That was one of the things God had against them. But they themselves were regular violators of the law of God. Notice Hosea chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. So here they are committing all kinds of sins themselves, just one thing after another, all the while showing no mercy to anybody else. 
expecting God to let them off the hook while showing no mercy to anyone else. God deplored it. And he tells them so. In Micah, chapter 6, in verses 6 through 8, God tells the people that our standard for ourselves is, as I've already said, should be to do justice, to do that which is just, do justly. While, on the other hand, loving to show and be shown mercy. Listen to Micah 6, verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? What can I do to get forgiveness? All of the things that are listed there, you would say, well, those are great religious acts. Show tremendous sacrifice. But that's not what God's wanting. Not at the core of it. He has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? To do justly. You do what's right. You do what's right. But you love mercy. You love mercy for others as well as yourself. You realize that you need mercy. You see, the rivers of oil and the, all of the rams and even sacrificing your children, that's not, that's not going to compensate for your sin. That's not going to get cleansing for your sin. That's not going to bring you close to God. The only thing that's going to do that is the mercy of God. You love mercy for yourself and you show it to others because you love it. Mercy. It's not just for us individually. It is truly for others. Our problem is, of course, that we want justice for everyone else and mercy for our own transgressions. G.K. Chesterton sometimes said that children are innocent, therefore they love justice. They do, don't they? The little children have this innate sense of what's fair, right? If, if the little brother gets a popsicle, then I should get a popsicle, right? <laughs> if he gets candy, I should get candy. If he gets a spanking, well, wait a minute. <laughs> but if I get a spanking, he should get a spanking, right? So they have this sense of justice. And they kind of expect it in everything. Adults who have all kinds of transgressions are not innocent like children. Expect mercy. Isn't that funny? <laughs> See how we change as we get older? We expect others to let it slide when we do it. I think there's a lot of reality in that. This, this way of thinking is and has been for a long time. On, on, on full display in our culture. I mean, you, you see it everywhere. You see it everywhere. 
in our political system. One party condemns the other for doing the same thing that that party is doing. I mean, it's, it's getting sickening. It's been sickening for a while. But, but surely we realize this. I'll give you just one example from recent times. So our president gave a State of the Union address the other night, and uh, there were some in the other party who were speaking out during his speech in disagreement with things, things that he said. They were being very rude and disrespectful. Let's just say that. They were. And of course, the president's party, all of them, were quick to condemn that. How, what terrible behavior for, you know, congressmen to disrespect the president of the United States as he's given the State of the Union address. And it is terrible behavior. Of course, just a few years ago, like three, when the president was of the other party and he gave the State of the Union address, the Democratic Congresswoman who was Speaker of the House unceremoniously ripped up his speech in front of a nationwide <laughs> television audience and kind of just totally disrespected everything that he'd said. Was that a little bit disrespectful? Just a lot. What are we doing? Well, both parties point the fingers at the other parties on that issue, but you can think of a thousand more. I mean, there's, I could, we could have illustrations of this all day long. Look what they're doing. They're disrespecting the president. There's four fingers, uh, three and a thumb, pointed back this way, right? <laughs> That's what we're doing. And it, almost everything in the political arena where the finger is pointed that way, it can point back just as well the other way, sometimes with three or four more fingers. And, and that's the reality of the world that we are living in. It's the reality of the world that we're living in. It's the same when it comes to uh, life in our culture. Think about sports. Um, we all, many of us, have a favorite sports team. I know who you root for. You know who I root for, and that's okay. But it gets uh, kind of ridiculous. You're watching a game. And, you know, the refs are always against your team, right? <laughs> They're calling it on your team, but they won't call it on the other guys. They're letting them get away with it. We get that all the time. That's the way we see life. Recently in the news, uh, a former Alabama basketball player was charged for murder in Tuscaloosa. Uh, a young lady was killed, tragically. He handed the person the gun who, you know, went, that shot her. And so he and the person that shot her, they're both in jail. As the story has come out this last week, uh, another Alabama basketball player apparently transported the gun in the car to the scene where uh, the other two guys got it and, and killed the woman. And so the, the question is, well, what would be justice in this situation? What would be mercy in this situation? I can tell you right now, all over the internet, there are people that are saying justice would be for this Alabama basketball player that had the gun in his car, for him to be also thrown in prison, and the Alabama basketball program being completely shut down, and all forfeited for this season. That's being said over and over and over again in the public arena. Because that would be justice. And it might be. 
It might be. It might not be. I don't know all the facts. <laughs> what do we want, really? We can think about other areas of our lives, family and friends. When our family and our friends do things that are wrong, we make excuses, we rationalize it. When members of other families do similar things, lock, lock them up. How many times have we heard that cheer? You know, lock them up, lock them up. Somebody else. And it comes down all the way to the church. Look at what James says in James chapter 3 and verse 16. Where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Here's the problem with being merciless and yet wanting mercy for ourselves. We are self-seeking by definition. That's the core of that. That's why we have the problem. We are seeking for self and not for the good of all. That's what motivates this mindset, where envy and self-seeking exist, political arena, sports arena, family and friends, you name it, that's what's going on when these things happen. Envy and self-seeking. Confusion and every evil thing will be there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy. And good fruits. Without partiality. And without hypocrisy. Without partiality. And without hypocrisy. That's what God wants of us. We are to be like his son. Who sacrificed himself for the sins of the world who cares about the salvation of all and not our own little fiefdom or family or political party above all else. We care about truth and righteousness and doing what's right and showing mercy to others when they fall short. Let's hold, let me look at that last verse, Matthew 23. Let's, let's hold our own selves to the standard of doing every last thing that God requests. While at the same time not neglecting justice and mercy and faith. Matthew 23, off quoted, Jesus in the midst of condemning the scribes and Pharisees, says, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, that was their problem. He says, you pay tithe of mint and anise, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, and mercy, and faith. They had neglected mercy. Jesus says to them, these you ought to have done. You ought to have done. Justice, and mercy, and faith, without leaving the others undone. What's that say? You are responsible to do, yes, every little, little last thing, last little thing tithing, the whatevers. You do that. You make sure you're dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. 
But don't forget to show mercy and advocate for justice and have faith in God. Because that's where all this gets back to, having faith in God. See, mercy triumphs over judgment. James chapter 2 and verse 12. So speak and so do as those will be judged by a law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who showed no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy wins if you show it. If you show it, you may receive it. The promise of God is that with the merciful, he will show himself merciful. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father also will forgive you. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What is mercy? It's the other side of the coin of grace. It's giving people not what they deserve when they do wrong. giving people what they don't deserve even though they don't what we need to understand and what Jesus wants us to understand is that administering justice is not our place God did not put us here to decide who's going to heaven and hell to decide what punishment should be meted out to all those who violate his law we understand there are judgments that we have to make We have to be able to tell when someone's in sin or not. We have to be able to help ourselves and others out of sin. We need to get that beam out of our eye so we can see to get the speck out of other people's eyes. That requires a lot of judgment in there. We all understand that. But we're not the judge. And we shouldn't go around acting like we are. What's your first response when you hear on the news or whatever it might be, reading the Well, nobody reads papers anymore. What's your first response when you find out about things like this? Crimes that have been committed. Well, lock them up and throw away the key, right? I I think our first response should be a response of mercy. How awful it is that a person was driven to commit whatever the crime is. How awful it is that victims have been harmed by actions and how much we care about the well-being not just physically but their souls their souls involved I know people and you probably do too who are in prison I know someone who's in prison for murder right now She used to be a student of mine. I've had others who used to be students of mine who are and have been in prison for other things and done horrible things. What's our response? How do I deal with it when it's not somebody I know personally and care about, but the guy over here that I don't know anything about? I only know the crime that was committed. Shouldn't my feeling be the same for both? 
Shouldn't it? It should, shouldn't it? Judge not, you shall not be judged. Condemn not, you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Mercy costs us the right to enforce our own justice. That's what we have to give up. That's what I'm saying to you we have to give up this morning. The merciful don't have a right to enforce their own justice in this world. God will give the vengeance. Forgiveness and mercy costs us our own sense of justice. You say, well, what about justice then? Shouldn't we stand for justice as well? Well, in the final analysis... We say we want to see justice done, but as uh, someone wrote in a book entitled The Practice of Godliness, I'm going to quote this, he says we want to see justice done, but the justice we envision satisfies our own interests. We must realize that justice has been done. God is the only rightful administrator of justice in all of creation, and His justice has been satisfied on the cross of Christ. In order to show mercy and forgive our brother, we must be satisfied with God's justice and forego the satisfaction of our own. This comes especially as we think about our relations with one another in the church. Justice was served on the cross. He died, Jesus did, not only for your sin, but also for the sin of everyone who ever wronged you. John says in 1 John 2 and verse 2, He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the whole world. It's the satisfaction of the justice of God. The word propitiation, the appeasement for sin, the atonement that God will accept to appease his anger and his sense of justice. He says, here's what I'll accept. Here's the only thing I'll accept. The blood of my only begotten son. The propitiation for your sin and my sin and for the sin of the world. It was God who set forth his son as propitiation to demonstrate, (laughs) Paul says in Romans chapter 3, to demonstrate his justice. We live, my friends, in a merciless world, in a world of hypocrisy and selfishness. It's a world of evil, but we don't have to be like the world. In fact, again, Jesus died so we don't have to be like the world. I am well satisfied that most all of us understand the problem that I've talked about this morning how it can affect every aspect of a person's life. Why am I sharing with this, this with you today? Do I think uh, we've got just a, a bunch, of, bunch of merciless, careless, judgmental people here at Eastside? I hope not. I don't think so. <laughs> but I don't want you to become that way, and I don't want to become that way. Because it sure does surround us in this world. Let me leave you with one thought. It's what the Apostle Paul said right before in Romans chapter 12 he starts talking about 
let God take the vengeance. Let God do the justice, right? He says in Romans 12 and verse 21, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Mercy is good. Do not be overcome by evil. Fairness is good. Treating people the same. Not showing partiality. Not being hypocritical. Those are good things. Do not be overcome by evil. But overcome evil with good. We're about to sing a song to encourage you to name the name of Jesus, to repent of sins if you need to, to be with Christ and have him be with you in your life. If you'd respond to that, we'd ask you to come while we stand and while we sing.